Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Here's Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. I found the summary of this uh, article, uh, but then uh, uh, sought out the long version. The long version is absolutely terrific. Um, it's on Barry Weiss's Substack uh, by Abigail Schreier, who's written a couple of books about transgender issues and that sort of thing, and has been painted as a transphobe and a hater and the rest of it. Well, she writes the books, and they're very popular and well-regarded, but they're not sold on Amazon. Right. Even though all she's asking is for data and responsibility and restraint and suggested that the whole transgender thing uh, in terms of uh, treating children has gotten out of control. Well, here's what she writes, and, and there's a punchline coming, and it's a big one. For nearly a decade, the vanguard of the transgender rights movement, doctors, activists, celebrities, transgender influencers, has defined the boundaries of the new orthodoxy surrounding transgender medical care. What's true? What's false? Which questions can and cannot be asked? They said it was perfectly safe to give children as young as nine puberty blockers and insisted that the effects of those blockers were fully reversible. They'd said it was an, uh, the job of medical professionals to help minors to transition. They said it was not their job to question the wisdom of transitioning and that anyone who did, including parents, was probably transphobic. They said any worries about a social conti- a contagion among teen girls was nonsense. And they never said anything about the distinct possibility that blocking puberty coupled with cross-sex hormones could inhibit a normal sex life. And then they talk about, uh, she talks about their allies in media and the Hollywood who, who repeated the orthodoxy and anyone who dared disagree or depart from any of the core tenets, including, by the way, young women who publicly detransitioned. Even they were inevitably smeared as hateful and accused of harming young children. But the new orthodoxy has gone too far, according to two of the most prominent providers in the field of transgender medicine. Dr. Marcy Bowers, world-renowned surgeon specialist, and Erica Anderson, clinical psychologist at the University of California, San Francisco's Child and Adolescent Gender Clinic. Now, here's the punchline. In their course of their careers, both have seen thousands of patients. Both are board members of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, the organization that sets standards, and both are transgender women. Earlier this month, Anderson told me she submitted a co-authored op-ed to the New York Times warning that many transgender healthcare providers were treating kids recklessly. Oh, boy. The Times passed, explaining it's outside our coverage policies and priorities right now. Over the past few weeks, I've spoken at length to both women about the current direction of their field and, and where they feel it has gone wrong. Uh, on some issues, including their stance on puberty blockers, they raised concerns that appear to question the current health guidelines uh, set by that uh, the, that organization I told you about. Um, for instance, WPATH, WPATH, recommends that for many transgender, dysphoric, and gender nonconforming kids, hormonal puberty suppression begins at the early stages of pu- puberty. They've insisted since 2012 that puberty blockers are fully reversible interventions. When I asked Anderson if she believes that psychological effects of puberty blockers are reversible, she said, I'm not sure. When asked whether children in the early stages of puberty should be put on blockers, Bowers said, I am not a fan. When I asked Bowers if she still thought puberty blockers were a good idea from a surgical perspective, she said, this is typical of medicine. We zig and then we zag. And I think maybe we zigged a little too far left in some cases. I think there was naivete on the part of the pediatric endocrinologists who are proponents of early puberty blocking think that this magic, that this magic can happen, that surgeons can do anything. 
I asked Bowers whether she believed WPATH had been welcoming to a wide variety of doctors' viewpoints, including those concerned about risks, skeptical of puberty blockers, and maybe even critical of some of the surgical procedures. Quote, there are definitely people who are trying to keep out anyone who doesn't absolutely buy the party line that everything should be affirming and that there's no room for dissent. I think that's a mistake. It is almost without doubt, I think, that we're going to look back on this period like other periods in history we look back on and we think, how the hell did that happen? How did that craze catch on? Uh, We're going to look back on this period of time when we're doing this to little kids and think, what the hell? You're absolutely right. This will be seen as a, a dark, dark age of abusing children. In my opinion, with all due respect to those uh, adults who decide to go ahead and do this, it's your it's your decision. It's up to you. It's your life. Go live it. And I wish you nothing but health and happiness. But to do this to children, since nearly seven in ten children initially diagnosed with gender dysphoria eventually outgrow it or go on to become lesbian or gay adults. The conventional wisdom held that with a little patience, most kids would come to accept their bodies. The underlying assumption was that children didn't always know best. But over the last decade, watchful waiting has been supplanted by affirmative care, which assumes children do know best, and they ought to go ahead and authorize mutilating surgery on themselves. You know, my I got I got a kid that's got uh, all kinds of um, um, issues that he's dealing with and we're trying to deal with. I guarantee you, and he's trying to figure out, you know, a way to be happy. I guarantee you that if I'd have wanted to, started a couple of years ago, I could have convinced him, hey, here's what your problem is. You're actually a woman. Let's get this done. Yeah. And everything will be good. I know I could have convinced him of that if I wanted to do that. And you got parents doing that. And, you know, another aspect of this that I think is ironic and awful is, and, and it was referred to in that last paragraph that many go on to be lesbian or gay adults. You have a kid, a child, thinking... I don't feel like a boy, meaning like the other boys, or like I perceive a boy should feel. And then he gets put on the all-too-fast-moving conveyor belt of transgender mania, and all of a sudden, instead of realizing, oh, I'm an effeminate boy, I will be an effeminate man, I'm attracted to men. Instead of that... Adults whisk him along and say, we need to, we need to carve up your body. We need to change. You're not a man. You're a woman, which is a weird and somewhat ironic insistence that there can't be girlish men, effeminate men, right. effeminate gay men. What are you talking about? I thought you people were like pro gay rights. And now anybody who dares express that they're an effeminate man, you want to carve them up? I'm uh, maybe this will happen over time because probably politically it's been difficult to do, but I'm surprised there's not more of a movement among, you know, the more effeminate end of gay men to say, hold on, wait a second. Yeah, you're right. You're right. By the way, the uh, use of puberty blockers can be traced to the Netherlands in the 90s. This uh, they cite this Peggy Cohen Katenis, a uh, psychologist in Amsterdam who helped to raise awareness about the potential benefits of blockers and pharmaceutical companies happy to fund studies and what's called the Dutch protocol was born. The thinking was, why make a child who suffered with gender dysphoria since preschool endure puberty with all its discomforts and embarrassments if that child were likely to transition as a young adult? Researchers believed blockers' effects were reversible just in case the kid did not ultimately transition. Oh, boy. 
But this very psychologist later grew doubtful about that initial assessment. Quote, it is not clear yet how pubertal suppression will influence brain development, she wrote in 06. Well, at least the experiments were only on children that will affect them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, yeah. This is unbelievable. You know, Dr. Savage often said uh, liberalism is a mental disorder. I think your hardcore progressive type these days who wants a suspension of the First Amendment, they want to to, to whisk kids along on this surgery conveyor belt. Um, I could listen list half a dozen other issues. I think they actually are troubled. They are delusional to the point that it's, it's a neurosis, at least. It is a mental disorder. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So from the kids don't do this at home department, a man has died after chugging a 1.5 liter bottle of Coca-Cola in 10 minutes. The fizzy fiasco occurred... Hmm. Regrettable. How do we feel about that? Hmm. Not good. After the 20-year-old rapidly downed a 1.5-liter bottle of Coke to stay hydrated during hot weather. He's hot and thirsty. He comes across a liter and a half bottle of Coke and drinks the whole thing down. Six hours later, he started to experience a swollen stomach, a swollen stomach and severe pain, which sent him to the hospital where he died. Elevated heart rate, low blood pressure, rapid breathing. And they think uh, it was swigging down the Coke? Aberrant levels in his intestinal wall and portal vein that provides blood to the liver. All kinds of different things happen. Yeah, that's what they think happened. Uh, a shock liver, which I'd never heard of, which is caused by a lack of oxygen to the organ. Shock oh. liver can happen. and uh, It's called a hepatabic ish, ish, uh, uh, sesima, is what it's called. Is it? <laughs> anyway, so don't do that. God, that makes my stomach hurt just thinking about it. You got to let it go, buddy. You got to go ahead and belch. And swigging down a liter and a half or oh. whatever it was. I mean, you'd really oh have to. God. It'd be thunderous. It'd be like a roaring lion. But you, you got to do it. Otherwise, you're going to get the uh, liver heshermutter. The <laughs> Right. Shock liver. You don't want shock liver. Ask for it by name. Hey, if you're yeah. thirsty, try some uh, water. <laughs> try that. Liter and a half. Oh, God, that just makes me, ah, oh, oh, the pain I feel in myself. Well, it's enough to kill you. He's 22. Yeah. Don't do that at home, kids. No, it's terrible. Another one of those TikTok challenges. Uh, Kids and their TikTok. Am I wrong? (laughs) Oh, my kid took the TikTok off her uh, phone. Why? She said it's too easy to waste time. It's a, it's really? a, well, because there was a lot of creativity, a lot of really funny, interesting videos. They're all very short and it's like the YouTube vortex, but worse. Yeah. That's, see, that's the problem that, uh, whenever that tipping point happened a few years back, if you're old enough, you remember there was actually a lack of good TV shows and good music and, you know, entertaining things to look at. There, there, there weren't enough. Mm-hmm. You're always seeking them out. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like when I uh, finally had enough money that I could eat as much as I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't, you know, you gotta you gotta dial it back at some point and realize, okay, now I can eat more, but I shouldn't eat more. <laughs> Is that way with entertainment? It doesn't matter. Yes, it's all brilliant, but it doesn't matter if it's all brilliant. 
if you spend your whole life looking at videos. I'm right. ta- Figure I'm ta- out how much you want to eat. I'm talking to myself here. If the music's brilliant, the videos are the TV shows. And I, when I hear it's a great show, you got to see it. I know there's plenty of really great TV shows. But is that the what I want to do with my time? That's the question. Yeah. And that's a hard one for everybody. My son started playing. Finally, let him play Fortnite. He's been wanting to play Fortnite for years. And uh, the the common sense media people think around 11, 12, his age is about as young as you ought to go on the thing. And he's he's 11 and a half. So I let him play it. He's got friends that have been playing it for years. But what are you doing in that one? Are you shooting people? Are you fighting monsters? Killing people. Oh, boy. trying to get away with stuff. Oh, boy. It's not bloody. It's, you know, cartoon violence. Hmm. As opposed to like um, uh, your um, your military stuff, where it's just flat out violence, violence. Yeah. But anyway, man, he uh, you know it's going to take some serious regulation of how much he's allowed to play it. You're nodding your head. Have you played Fortnite, Michael? You Fortnite guy? Uh, my nephews are big yeah. time. Yeah, Fortnite. Oh, oh man, I, I they love it. You know, and a good example on Saturday night. Usually on Saturday nights, we we watch TV together. But he just got the Fortnite downloaded on his uh, his uh, Nintendo Switch. And I let him play it that night, and he was online with his best friends and playing and stuff like that. So instead of him and I hanging out, doing our thing on a Saturday night, he was alone in his bedroom playing a video game with his friends. And, uh, you know, um, mm. uh, but he could have played all night long easily. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I took it away from him at like 1030. I said, I'm going to plug this in in my room so you're not tempted. To, uh, to play it, but I mean, he's full on, like, wide eyed. First thing he talked about in the morning. The, the, are video games addictive or not question? You know, I don't, I don't know technically what's an addiction or, or not in those lines, but man, man, if it's, if you, if you, if somebody has to take it away from you to get you to stop and it's the first thing you think of in the morning, it's certainly in that territory. Yeah, I don't. Anybody who argues that they're not is is making a rhetorical uh, is turning it into a rhetorical exercise. They're making lawyerly arguments. Anybody who's ever witnessed kids with video games or adults, for that matter, knows it is. Or if anybody's ever felt it themselves in the the need to go check the latest TikTok or the Twitter or whatever. What what do you think's compelling you to do that? Yeah. The last 10 times you did it, did you come away from it thinking that was a good expenditure of your time? That's the main thing with an addiction, is if after you do it, you think, I'm not doing that again, and then you do. That's that's really number one for me hmm. um, on whether or not it's an addiction or not. Uh, if you get done doing something and you think, that was great, I can't wait to do it again, well then, I don't know. I suppose there are crackheads like that, or meth heads. You come off a three-day bender and think, that was awesome, I'm going to do that again. <laughs> it can oh, still boy. be an addiction, that's my point. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a decent, uh, decent definition. I'm doing that too much. I'm not going to do it again. And then you do it again. Yeah, yeah. I think kids, though, they want to play the video games constantly. Sure. There's no regret. They're just that they're drawn to it. They need it. And he's playing with his friends. I mean, how appealing is that? Would would I have done the same thing when I was his age if it existed? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So I need a life hack if anybody's got one. Maybe if we've got a thief listening, a thief would probably have a good answer for this. Or maybe you work at a store and, you know. So I'm wearing this dress shirt. I don't know if I can get this out of my suit jacket so that you can see. The little gray thing that keeps you from stealing your shirt. Oh, man. That's supposed to make it beep when you walk out the door. Yeah, the security device thing. I paid for this shirt. I'm not in the habit of stealing clothes. But I bought this shirt and somehow they missed taking the little plastic thing off the sleeve. And uh, how do you get it off? Have you ever tried? I did one time, 
and it with a lot of work, and there is serious danger of cutting yourself because there are a lot of sharp things involved, and then ink squirted all over the place. Right, right. It, it ruins the garment. Yeah. So does anybody know? I think you go back a, to the store and tell it, them, hey, you guys left this on. I don't think I got the receipt, though. I'm going to have to prove I didn't steal it. I don't think so. You don't think? I don't look like a no. thief? No, I got not the beady really. eyes. You got the suit going. I got Please. the slump shoulders. I look, I look like a thief. Yeah, um, is there a life hack for getting those things off? They got that piece of equipment, or can you buy that piece of equipment? Surely that that's. Do thieves Wait a minute. do thieves own those little things? You just slide on there and it makes them come off. Well, I'm reminded of the shoplifting rings that are running rampant in Cal Unicornia, where they've decriminalized crime and and they're stealing, you know, purses, uh, dresses, clothes, jackets by the rack. That's so a good yeah, point. they've got to have a way to deal with that. That's a good point. They must have a way to get these off. If you know, text line four one five two nine five KFTC four one five two nine five KFTC, and that reminds me because so many people steal so much now from all your uh, like uh, CVS's, Walgreens, those kinds of places. Every damn thing you want to buy is behind lock and key, so you have to find an employee to buy the cheapest dang thing. Right. I I remind you of that email we got the other day from a guy who lived in South Africa in the early 2000s, third world country, dangerous, lots and lots of crime. You had to be buzzed into every store, including like a barbershop. We are permitting America to become a third world country. It's it's in front of you. Armstrong and Getty. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. Are you tired of gulping down the lying filth of the mainstream media? Yeah, we are, too. We try to tell you the truth every single day. Gulping down lying filth. Wow. Nobody wants to sound dumb. Our goal is to help you not sound dumb. We'll inform you, and it'll be fun at the same time. You have to choose between entertainment and information. Combine them both with the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Four episodes available every day via the iHeartRadio app or wherever you download your podcasts. So a couple of uh, stories about uh, the ups and downs of humanity, including uh, many of us, uh, yourselves, ourselves. Um, first of all, depression. There is work going on. Um, America has got, I was just talking about this with, uh, with uh, one of my kids. We have finally gotten past this idiotic paranoia about doing any study of drugs that are ever used recreationally. Because there was a, it was around the Nixon administration that if there's any drug that anybody took to get high, the, the universities and the labs were banned from doing any experiments on positive uses of it. It was bizarre. It was almost like a fear of witches to me. Well, they're doing incredibly promising experiments now with psilocybin, the active ingredient in so-called magic mushrooms, uh, with depression. And it looks like it could be an enormous breakthrough. This article in Newsweek annoyingly and stupidly refers to them as magic mushrooms throughout the article. <laughs> that doesn't I mean, help. That's not helping. No, it really isn't helping, and it's childish. It's it's a it's a it's a series of chemicals. All right. Um. And then, oh my God, they go into some in the mental health profession believe the risks, or the, the, there are still risks. People might blah blah blah. Just shut up. Um. But some of these studies have shown, uh, I hate when the page resets on me, um, uh, results that absolutely smoke, no pun intended, um, the results of some of the traditional therapies, um, the uh, the drugs that uh, everybody takes for depression these days. So keep your, your eye on it. Like your Wellbutrin, Lexapro, all that stuff? 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. The classics. And, uh, yeah, again, this the website has gotten completely screwed up on me. But anyway, it's, it's super effective. It seems people who have not responded, the 30% of so of people who do not respond to any other treatment are having fabulous results with this. It has a way of, of, of resetting the brain and completely altering people's perspective on themselves, their problem, and the world around them. Interesting. So yeah. I definitely believe uh, um, depression is a thing, and uh, it'd be nice to have drugs that help people with that. The part that I don't get, and I mean, like I've, I've even talked to doctors about this, therapists about this, and I still don't quite understand, is... Um, are, are we supposed to drug ourselves out of ever feeling bad? Because it seems to get recommended regularly when people feel bad, when there are legitimately bad things going on in your life. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't get that. If there are bad things going on in your life and you're sad about it, isn't that the way you're supposed to feel? Should we? Should people be drugging themselves out of that? Yeah. Like, yeah, like that's, I know, that's a great question. I know the doctor bringing up to me said, like, everybody has gone on some sort of thing. Um, during the uh, during COVID over the last year and a half. He said patients that have never brought it up before were like feeling really down and they're on this or that. And I thought, well, if people are down because you're not going into the workplace and seeing your friends and not you know doing any of the normal things you do and it's making you feel bad, is that something you should take a drug for? Well, no, clearly not. And and the pharmaceutical industry has a and the medical industry, for that matter, has a pretty well established history of chucking pills at every problem. And I don't actually over prescribing. I don't know if anybody even knows this or not. But if you take medicine because you feel bad during something that's actually bad, is that not dealing with it, or is that a good idea to not have to feel bad while it's happening, and then when it's over, it'll be fun? I, I don't actually know. I don't think anybody knows. No, I think the Bible speaks to that sort of thing. But, it, you know, it's a question of degree, too. You know, for everything, there's a season. Um, mm-hmm. uh, time to laugh, time to cry. Um, uh, anyway, so they are describing the experiences of one guy who has impenetrable depression. And, and that's more than just feeling sad. Sure, it's absolutely. When, you know, you get a chance to be with your friends and go back to work and the rest of it, and you just can't. You won't. You don't. Right. You don't want to. So as he was, uh, they gave him this dose of psilocybin. And, um, Which is considered a physical illness. Depression. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain chemistry's out of whack. But anyway, so as he, uh, as he was there in the session, he wasn't thinking about, um, you know, they mentioned a couple of things, kind of a distraction. He was a seven-year-old kid again, sitting in a church pew with his family during a Sunday sermon. He and his two brothers were trying to make one another laugh. I could actually feel my brothers on either side Ooh. of me and just how much fun it was. Wow. And I just felt how much love I have for my brothers and my parents. It's one of those moments where you make each other laugh until you cry. The church scene morphed into other visions. Presley saw his own funeral, that of his parents, and those of others he loved, all of whom were still alive. He traced a possible future with his girlfriend. He sobbed so hard it felt as if he'd been kicked in the stomach and conversely felt his body flood with pure joy and gratitude. Presley, which is his name, knew what he was experiencing wasn't technically real, but the scenes were so detailed, so infused with passion and meaning, they felt real. When it was all over, after he'd processed it with his uh, facilitators, something had shifted. 
In the weeks and months that followed, the visions of joy and meaning he'd glimpsed became his guidestones. He joined a musical choir because singing gave him joy. Um, he began uh, attending social events. He made an effort to reconnect with old friends and family members. With the aid of therapists on hand to help him integrate his experience, he made a to-do list of actions he could take if or when the darkness returned. Call a friend or loved one, go to a climbing gym, lift weights, sing, play the piano, etc., etc. Um, and this guy who just, it, it, it seems to clear out the crud. And how this works, who knows? That, 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 like, uh, suffocates you into depression. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's wild. And don't, and again, I, you know, I, I, I'm too serious about everything. Um, but the idiotic ma- magic mushroom jokes, just don't do it. There are people who are suffering that can really be helped by this. So anyway, um, and I want to tell you about the California has got a program for getting people off drugs, meth in particular, that the first time I saw it, I thought it was idiotic. The more I looked into it, I think it's a good idea. So I changed my mind. Nice. Maybe you will be too. Paying people not to do drugs. Joe's practically a pusher this segment. Mm, do drugs, kids. That's the key. Um, so, uh, Simply Safe, Home Security, beloved sponsor of the Armstrong and Getty Show, has this brand new wireless outdoor security camera. And then we'll get to the meth thing. Um, perhaps you're tweaking right now. This will be for you. Uh, but perhaps uh, tweakers are stealing your stuff. You really want to learn about this wireless outdoor security camera. The fact that Simply Safe is already the best home security system of the year, according to U.S. News and World Report, is exciting. The fact that they're adding this camera in that integrates perfectly with your Simply Safe home security system that hopefully you already have, but you can get them both. This camera, ultra wide, 140 degree field of view, so you can watch your entire yard or front street. 1080p HD resolution, eight times zoom. So you're really going to be able to see what's going on. Built in spotlight, color night vision. It's battery operated, so it doesn't need to be near a, an outlet. Yeah, on a practical level, the zoom, you can see a face, you can see a license plate. You're going to know who did what. So learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera. Visit simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Simply Safe is knocking 20% off your entire new system, and your first month of monitoring is free when you enroll in interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. This camera is badass. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So anyway, luckily I'm not afflicted with uh, severe depression, nor am I a meth addict, but... That's handy. <clears throat> I first saw this story on uh, NPR's website, and they were saying, oh, this is a lovely idea. California is paying drug addicts not to do drugs. And I thought, yet another idiotic, feel-good, wasting money, making it easy to be a junkie program. Well, you might... Uh, you can be the judge of that, because I'm not 100% on board... But they talk about this guy who's got a meth addiction, and he's going to a treatment program in San Francisco three times a week. Three times a week, he pees in the cup. If it's negative, he gets about $7. $7, you're thinking, who cares? But this guy um says it, it's keeping him going. At the end of 12 weeks, if all of his drug tests come back negative, he gets about $330. But turns out it's not about the money. This guy says, it's about being told, good job. It was the first opportunity where I was like, I have self-worth still. It's buried, but this person sees it and is willing to reward me just for taking care of myself. It turned out to be very motivating for me. And that's what the, what they say is, um, it's called contingency management. 
Um, they're used widely in weight loss, fitness programs, and families as parents coax their children into adopting good behaviors rather than just punishing them for poor behaviors. And addiction specialists said something that kind of caught my ear. And this is, oh, it's it's been super successful in the VA, by the way. They've been using the same technique. It says this uh, uh, a clinical psychologist at the Philadelphia Center for Substance Addiction Treatment and Education who helped launch the VA's program. Patients often come to treatment ambivalent about changing. Why? Because substance use is so seductive. It provides powerful, immediate reinforcement, whereas recovery, its immediate consequences are often unpleasant. Withdrawal symptoms, a clear-eyed view of the devastated yeah. landscape. yeah. That, that you've made of your life, etc. It's miserable. Contingency management embraces this challenge head on by offering immediate rewards and reinforcement for abstinence. The small payments or prizes aim to rewire the brain's reward system so the person seeks the money or gift card to get a dopamine release instead of the meth or coke. Well, and it seems silly. An amount that small, but they see it working like crazy. Well, I, as a conservative, am all for it. You, you do some sort of experiment. And see what the results are. And if right. it works, you keep doing it. And if it doesn't, you end it. So, so simply, beautifully true, and so ignored in government policy. Unless this article is just blatantly dishonest, the VA says it's been terrific. Hmm. So, again, just does it work? Bring yeah. us data. It doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't need to make sense to me. Now, I'm surprised that that little amount works, but if that's the way the brain works, that's the way the brain works. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and at the end you get three hundred and thirty bucks, which is you know Ain't pretty nothing. good sum, huh? Yeah. A little pizza money, a little walking around money. Maybe some shoes that aren't crushed in the back. I notice that a lot of your drug addicts shuffling around out there. Their shoes are always crushed in the back. Is that just an unwillingness to put your shoes on properly? What is it with the what you homeless? What is what is it with that? Why don't you put well, your shoes on properly? <laughs> or get you some Crocs if you like that feel. I guess that's the least of your problems. Yeah. Pull on your shoes properly. It's the first step to a better life. Armstrong and Getty. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. Are you tired of gulping down the lying filth of the mainstream media? Yeah, we are too. We try to tell you the truth every single day. Gulping down lying filth. Wow. Nobody wants to sound dumb. Our goal is to help you not sound dumb. We'll inform you, and it'll be fun at the same time. You have to choose between entertainment and information. Combine them both with the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Four episodes available every day via the iHeartRadio app or wherever you download your podcasts. So a couple of uh, stories about uh, the ups and downs of humanity, including uh, many of us, uh, yourselves, ourselves. Um, first of all, uh, depression. There is work going on. Um, America has got, I was just talking about this with, uh, with uh, one of my kids. We have finally gotten past this idiotic paranoia about doing any study of drugs that are ever used recreationally. Because there was a, it was around the Nixon administration that if there's any drug that anybody took to get high, the, the universities and the labs were banned from doing any experiments on positive uses of it. It was bizarre. It was almost like a fear of witches to me. Well, they're doing incredibly promising experiments now with psilocybin, the active ingredient in so-called magic mushrooms, uh, with depression. And it looks like it could be an enormous breakthrough. This article in Newsweek, 
annoyingly and stupidly refers to them as magic mushrooms throughout the article. <laughs> that doesn't I mean, help. That's not helping. No, it really isn't helping, and it's childish. It's it's a it's a it's a series of chemicals. All right. Um. And then, oh my God, they go into some in the mental health profession believe the risks, or there are still risks. People might blah, 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 just shut up. Um, but some of these studies have shown, uh, I hate when the page resets on me, um, uh, results that absolutely smoke, no pun intended, um, the results of some of the traditional therapies. Um, the uh the drugs that uh, everybody takes for depression these days so keep your, your eye on it like your wellbutrin lexapro all that stuff right yeah yeah the classics and uh yeah again this the website has gotten completely screwed up on me but anyway it's it's super effective it seems people who have not responded the 30% of so of people who do not respond to any other treatment are having fabulous results with this it has a way of, of, of resetting the brain and completely altering people's perspective on themselves, their problem, and the world around them. Interesting. So yeah. I definitely believe uh, um, depression is a thing, and uh, it'd be nice to have drugs that help people with that. The part that I don't get, and I mean, like I've, I've even talked to doctors about this, therapists about this, and I still don't quite understand, is... Um, are, are we supposed to drug ourselves out of ever feeling bad? Because it seems to get recommended regularly when people feel bad, when there are legitimately bad things going on in your life. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't get that. If there are bad things going on in your life and you're sad about it, isn't that the way you're supposed to feel? Should we? Should people be drugging themselves out of that? Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's, I know, it's a great question. I know the doctor bringing up to me said, like, everybody has gone on some sort of thing. Um, during the uh, during COVID over the last year and a half. He said patients that have never brought it up before were like feeling really down and they're on this or that. And I thought, well, if people are down because you're not going into the workplace and seeing your friends and not you know doing any of the normal things you do and it's making you feel bad, is that something you should take a drug for? Well, no, clearly not. And and the pharmaceutical industry has a and the medical industry, for that matter, has a pretty well established history of chucking pills at every problem. And I don't and actually prescribing. I don't know if anybody even knows this or not. But if you take medicine because you feel bad during something that's actually bad, is that not dealing with it, or is that a good idea to not have to feel bad while it's happening, and then when it's over, it'll be fun? I I don't actually know. I don't think anybody knows. No, I think the Bible speaks to that sort of thing. But, it, you know, it's a question of degree, too. You know, for everything, there's a season. Um, mm-hmm. uh, time to laugh, time to cry. Um, uh, anyway, so they are describing the experience of one guy who has impenetrable depression, and, and that's more than just feeling sad. Sure, it's absolutely. When, you know, you get a chance to be with your friends and go back to work and the rest of it, and you just can't. You won't. You don't. Right. You don't want to. So as he was, they gave him this dose of psilocybin. And, um, Which is considered a physical illness. Depression. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain chemistry's out of whack. But anyway, so as he, uh, as he was there in the session, he wasn't thinking about, um, 
you know, they mentioned a couple of things, kind of a distraction. He was a seven-year-old kid again, sitting in a church pew with his family during a Sunday sermon. He and his two brothers were trying to make one another laugh. I could actually feel my brothers on either side of me and just how much fun it was. Wow. And I just felt how much love I have for my brothers and my parents. It's one of those moments where you make each other laugh until you cry. The church scene morphed into other visions. Presley saw his own funeral, that of his parents, and those of others he loved, all of whom were still alive. He traced a possible future with his girlfriend. He sobbed so hard it felt as if he'd been kicked in the stomach and conversely felt his body flood with pure joy and gratitude. Presley, which is his name, knew what he was experiencing wasn't technically real, but the scenes were so detailed, so infused with passion and meaning, they felt real. When it was all over, after he'd processed it with his uh, facilitators, something had shifted. In the weeks and months that followed, the visions of joy and meaning he'd glimpsed became his guidestones. He joined a musical choir because singing gave him joy. Um, he began uh, attending social events. He made an effort to reconnect with old friends and family members. With the aid of therapists were on hand to help him integrate his experience, he made a to-do list of actions he could take if or when the darkness returned. Call a friend or loved one, go to a climbing gym, lift weights, sing, play the piano, etc., etc. Um, and this guy who just... It, it, it seems to clear out the crud and how this works who knows that 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 like uh, suffocates you into depression mm-hmm. so it's it's wild and don't and again i you know i, I i'm too serious about everything um but the idiotic ma- magic mushroom jokes just don't do it there are people who are suffering that can really be helped by this so anyway um and i want to tell you about the california has got a program for getting people off drugs, meth in particular, that the first time I saw it, I thought it was idiotic. The more I looked into it, I think it's a good idea. So I changed my mind. Nice. Maybe you will be, too, paying people not to do drugs. Joe's practically a pusher this segment. Mm, do drugs, kids. That's the key. Um, so uh, Simply Safe, Home Security, beloved sponsor of the Armstrong and Getty Show, has this brand-new wireless outdoor security camera, and then we'll get to the meth thing. Um Perhaps you're tweaking right now. This will be for you. Uh, but perhaps uh, tweakers are stealing your stuff. You really want to learn about this wireless outdoor security camera. The fact that Simply Safe is already the best home security system of the year, according to U.S. News and World Report, is exciting. The fact that they're adding this camera in that integrates perfectly with your Simply Safe home security system that hopefully you already have, but you can get them both. This camera, ultra-wide, 140-degree field of view, so you can watch your entire yard or front street. 1080p HD resolution, 8 times zoom, so you're really going to be able to see what's going on. Built-in spotlight, color night vision. It's battery-operated, so it doesn't need to be near a, an outlet. Yeah, on a practical level, the zoom, you can see a face. You can see a license plate. You're going to know who did what. So learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera. Visit simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Simply Safe is knocking 20% off your entire new system, and your first month of monitoring is free when you enroll in interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. This camera is badass. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So anyway, luckily I'm not afflicted with uh, severe depression, nor am I a meth addict, but... That's handy. I first saw this story on uh, NPR's website, and they were saying, oh, this is a lovely idea. California is paying drug addicts not to do drugs. And I thought, yet another idiotic, feel-good, wasting money, making it easy to be a junkie program. Well, you might... uh, You can be the judge of that, because I'm not 100% on board... But they talk about this guy who's got a meth addiction, and he's going to a treatment program in San Francisco three times a week. 
three times a week, he pees in the cup. If it's negative, he gets about $7. $7, you're thinking, who cares? But this guy um, says it, it's keeping him going. At the end of 12 weeks, if all of his drug tests come back negative, he gets about $330. But turns out it's not about the money. This guy says it's about being told good job. It was the first opportunity where I was like, I have self-worth still. It's buried, but this person sees it and is willing to reward me just for taking care of myself. It turned out to be very motivating for me. And that's what the, what they say is, um, it's called contingency management. Um, they're used widely in weight loss, fitness programs, and families as parents coax their children into adopting good behaviors rather than just punishing them for poor behaviors. And addiction specialists said something that kind of caught my ear. And this is, oh, it's it's been super successful in the VA, by the way. They've been using the same technique. It says this uh, uh, a clinical psychologist at the Philadelphia Center for Substance Addiction Treatment and Education who helped launch the VA's program. Patients often come to treatment ambivalent about changing. Why? Because substance use is so seductive. It provides powerful, immediate reinforcement. Whereas recovery, its immediate consequences are often unpleasant. Withdrawal symptoms, a clear-eyed view of the devastated yeah. landscape. yeah. That, that you've made of your life, et cetera. It's miserable. Contingency management embraces this challenge head on by offering immediate rewards and reinforcement for abstinence. The small payments or prizes aim to rewire the brain's reward system so the person seeks the money or gift card to get a dopamine release instead of the meth or coke. Well, and it seems silly. An amount that small, but they see it working like crazy. Well, I, as a conservative, am all for it. You, you do some sort of experiment. And see what the results are. And if right. it works, you keep doing it. And if it doesn't, you end it. So. So simply, beautifully true, and so ignored in government policy. Unless this article is just blatantly dishonest, the VA says it's been terrific. Hmm. So, again, just does it work? Bring yeah. us data. It doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't need to make sense to me. Now, I'm surprised that that little amount works. But if that's the way the brain works, that's the way the brain works. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and at the end, you get three hundred and thirty bucks, which is you know a good sum, huh? Yeah. A little pizza money, a little walking around money. Maybe some shoes that aren't crushed in the back. I noticed that a lot of your drug addicts shuffling around out there. Their shoes are always crushed in the back. Is that just an unwillingness to put your shoes on properly? What is it with the what, you homeless? What is what is it with that? Why don't you put well, your shoes on properly? <laughs> I'll get you some Crocs if you like that feel. I guess that's the least of your problems. Yeah. Pull on your shoes properly. It's the first step to a better life. 